Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Spin Rate, the Athletics Toronto Blue Jays podcast. My name is Drew Fairservice. We're here doing the postmortem thing. Earlier in the week, me and Caitlin McGrath, who covers the team for the Athletic, broke it down. Make sure you go subscribe to the show, find that, listen to it, check it out, what we had to say in the sober light of day on Tuesday. Here we are, a couple days later, me and the other co-host of Spin Rate, Ricky Romero, former Blue Jays All-Star, joins me from beautiful downtown the beach. Ricky, he was there at the game. Now we're here to talk about what happened. How's it going, my friend? I'm doing great, man. Still uh, processing this whole thing. I mean, I've talked to uh, a few guys and staff members, and it, the the first thing that comes out of their their text messages is, "I can't believe it. I still can't believe it." And it's one of those things where I feel like it's gonna sting all off season. Again, you go through the pains of what they did last season and missing the playoffs by a game, then you finally make the playoffs and to lose the way they did. It's just, it's almost like it it wasn't supposed to end like this, and that's why I tweeted after the game, like, man, like sports, man, they can they can crush you, they can break your heart, and if you're on the opposing side, they can absolutely lift your spirits up. And obviously, Seattle did what they had to do, man. I mean, they they're a fun team. I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not gonna sugarcoat anything. They're a fun team, and I'm really rooting for them just for the simple fact that they're the underdogs kind of stinks that they got a little bit of a taste of of a comeback against them, right? I mean, it, to be able to go into uh, Houston and almost beat their ace, I mean, they pretty much beat beat him down, and to not come out on top, obviously, it can be a, a huge factor in the series. But yeah, man, it was, it was tough. I mean, I got a red-eye flight last Thursday, and I was there pumped up man i even took the go train i was i wanted to get all the feels honestly drew and and i had never experienced the playoffs in toronto as a player or as a fan and i was like you know what i want to take the train down i want to see what it's like and i want to see what the what the whole action is outside of it and it was really cool man again like you can't deny that the fandom in toronto is is beyond awesome i mean everyone rallies behind one team the whole country i feel like all eyes are on the toronto blue jays and taking the go train just getting the feels of that and getting off the go train and then just seeing a million blue jay jerseys all over the city just the buzz so you got to tip your hat off to the fans and, and and them coming out and and rooting their their team on all season and i'll tell you what man it is fucking loud in that stadium like I was next was Travis Snyder and like we were yelling at each other like, like <laughs> to try and have a conversation. That's how loud it was. And again, an awesome, awesome atmosphere. Something that me as a fan will never forget. Just because it's again, it's cool to be in that in that scene and 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 take it all in and and just be a fan. Again, it was it was awesome. And I've never heard on Saturday. Obviously, everyone's feeling high. I feel like everyone's like, man, like. What we're gonna have a game tomorrow. You see it on TV, but I never knew what it was like to like literally hear a pin drop at a stadium by the end of that game. 
It was crazy. It was like, I felt like I played. I felt like I was like, somebody just stabbed me in the heart. Like we were in the suite. I was like with my head down, like, oh my God, like my stomach like felt funny. I did not want to do anything. I even told the lady in charge of our flights. I was like, you know what? Get me out of here. I left the very next day. I just, I was supposed to leave Monday, obviously, because we thought we were going to have a game just in case of a game three. And I said, get me out of here. I was that like Matt, like we were going to, we had like, you know, we're going to go out and, and, and maybe have some drinks and, and enjoy downtown, enjoy all this, this, this atmosphere. Dude, we literally just went to dinner and I said, all right, I'm getting an Uber and I'm going home. And that's it. Like, it, I felt like I played. It hit me that hard. I was like, damn it. Like my phone is blowing up. And I feel like I said, it felt like a player, like guys are like, what the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> What's going on? And I'm like, I did not respond to anybody. To anybody, like again, that's that's how much the Toronto Blue Jays organization, the players. I have a deep connection with some of them, and it. I was hurt for them. The the, the people that work for for the Toronto Blue Jays, the the people that set up the alumni events, the people that do all the behind the work scene. Like I felt awful for them, awful, just because it's crazy, right? I mean, you go from you're celebrating a few days before that, and then you go to this, and it's like the absolute heartbreak. So, again, I mean, it it was a fun season, and uh. Um, I'm sure uh, those guys obviously got to get to work and, and come back hungrier next season and, and be ready. Crazy. I, I'm, I'm so glad that uh, that we have you because uh, I really want to get your perspective on the games. We'll kind of go back a little bit. You know, Caitlin and I kind of broke it down, but obviously I'd love to know what you saw, what you thought. Um, and then, so, so number one, and then number two, I, I, let's, we'll talk about that work. What is that work that's ahead? Where, where, where do we think about where the Jays are? There's a lot of um, kind of knee-jerk reactionary stuff that's uh, a little, almost a little bit surprising to me. But let's start with the game. So, you know, you go in there on Friday night and the place, the roof is ready to blow off. It's, you, you said you go through the sea of fans. I can only imagine, you know, what that walk, that, that walk through, through the skywalk, through Union Station, just unbelievable atmosphere, everybody having a great time. You go in and then three runs in the top of the first and then Luis Castillo just starts to shove. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, in the end, Alec Manoa pitched pretty well, but I don't know what you saw in, in the first inning. I mean, just at the end of the day, I think, you know, shit happens, but like, in the in this case, it happened to the Blue Jays. Number one, you know, a couple miss you know miss spots, and then a home run, and then Castillo just absolutely shoving, which I think is the biggest story from Friday's game, game one. Oh yeah, 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 one hundred percent. And and the one thing I saw about Manoa, and we've seen it in the past, where it's almost like he's he was over amped up, and and it's hard. Like people are like, oh, well, why can't he calm down? Some people ask me, and they're like, I'm like, because there's so much energy in this place. There's so much energy. You're adrenaline rush. It's his first playoff game, and he wants to do so well that sometimes you're throwing a pitch and you're just like, calm yourself down. But it's like, <laughs> wheels are spinning so fast that it's hard to do that. I've been there. I've been in that situation. And again, it's something that he's going to learn from. Obviously, he got the first one out of the way, but it's I know he took it hard, but in no way should he have his head down over that start because, at the, again, he gave the team a chance to win. And we were talking about this before we went live. Luis Castillo could have shut, shut down any offense that day. Like, he was completely filthy, completely in control. Just what a, the, the reason why they acquired him. And I was in the suite with Edwin Encarnacion. That was also pretty cool to watch him come back, throw out the first pitch and do all that stuff. It was cool to... The place went crazy. And I asked him, I was like, w w what do you do here? He's like, dude, <laughs> you tip your hat off to him. Like, holy shit. Like, how, how is this even fair? Like, you can't really sit on one pitch. You can't sit on a sinker in at 100 because he's doing so well at mixing his pitches that he's going to throw you a, a 97 up and away. And then as soon as he gets you diving that way, he's going to throw you that sinker at 100 at your hands. And not only that, he's throwing a nasty slider down and away. So he's like, he's got three pitches right there that he's throwing for a strike and he's just on top of his game. I was like, so what do you do? Like, how do you approach this? He's like, you got to cheat, cheat to one pitch and hope you guess right. And that was, that was it. That was his thing. Like you got, you, you better hope you, you guess right. Because other than that, it, he's going to be tough. He, I mean, and from the first inning, you just saw how calm he was, how he just went about his game. And again, I felt like every time he felt like a guy was about to dive or about to sit on that sinker in, boom, away, boom, sinker in. And when one of the best hitters I ever got to play with is telling me like, yeah, you got to cheat to one pitch and sit on one pitch. 
that's how hard it was. And the fact that you have to cheat and guess right. And and, and it's not even a 50-50 chance, Drew. It's He's got three pitches. You know, it's, you got maybe a 30-something percent chance that it's going to be that pitch. Luis Castillo was filthy, man. And, and you got to tip your hat off to him. Like, you could have put Barry Bonds up there. He might have struggled against him. <laughs> it's entirely fair. And I think that that's, that's the difference that stuff makes, too, in, in the game in 2022. That when Edwin's like, you got to cheat to one pitch. We even say, we've seen the game change even from the time when Edmund was at his absolute peak where, you know, those late, that late era Blue Jays team where they, they stopped throwing fastballs to Edmund, to Jose Bautista and to Josh Donaldson. So you're cheating to one pitch, but the stuff is so good that even if it's not perfect, you're still up against a really tough pitch. You know, his command was so good. Like for all the reasons you said, nothing left over the heart. He was throwing a hundred to the corners. You, you can't help but give credit to him. And you know, the, what we'll talk about a little bit is people are starting to ask questions about the, the way the team was was built. But, like, I, I don't know. I, I, I think when someone's pitching that, that well for that long, you can't help but give them credit. And, and would, would a, an amazing left-handed hitter, if the Blue Jays had, you know, I don't, Shohei Otani in their lineup. Shohei Otani striking out against Luis Castillo. Like, you know, we've all watched Shohei, <laughs> you know, great as he is. He, he does, he's not afraid to strike out, and he's not afraid to get exposed against a premium velocity so it just puts them in a tough spot and and you can't help but give but credit them i think that on on balance the jays you know played pretty well on, on friday night but just couldn't get any offense going because they were just that good they had their chances at the end and the time that they did have some runners on here and there it's like castillo was able to bear, bear down and and those are the type of performances that you expect out of your aces i mean you know, we expected that out of Manoa. We expected Manoa to go deep into the game and, and continue to do what he's been doing. Obviously, he had a bit of a hiccup in the first inning. But, hey, nobody hurt. I mean, you, st- you still were going to have to score runs to win. It wasn't going to say 0-0-0-0 forever. So it was going to be who who makes the first mistake and what team takes advantage of it. The Seattle Mariners made him pay in the first inning, and that's all Castillo needed. Castillo could have only had one run, man. Seriously, he could have had one run. He could have he just been winning one nothing, and it would have been enough that night. Like, that's how good he was. It's not easy, man. <laughs> like, you, we get to see it live, but then you have the TV feed around the stadium, and you're just seeing the way these pitches are moving. And you're like, that is completely unfair. Like, what do you do? Travis Snyder was another guy that was sitting next to me, and I'm like, what do you do there? He's like, dude. <laughs> he just started laughing. These are hitters. These are guys that pitch, uh, uh, play, uh, played in the big leagues, that hit in the big leagues. And they're just like, that is completely on another level of filthiness and um and again friday was tough but again it was you know there's a reason why they did they did these wild card games and if it was just one game thing they would have been done and that was it but the good thing was that they had a second second chance to to come and get them and yeah we'll get into that game here soon and now we'll get into that so that's friday night's game again a different a change in things uh, compared to what it, you the way things used to be uh, where if it was the old days, the wild card game, one and done. And, and there are lots of teams that were undone by by great starts. Um, uh, you know, Obviously, Madison Baumgartner is, is one that comes to mind who pitched the Giants to, through at least two really good uh, uh, wild card starts. Uh, what's his name? That dude with the muscles for the for the Cubs. Uh, Arietta. Jake, Jake Arietta uh, yeah, uh, had a couple great starts, pitched the Cubs through uh, a couple times. But it happens. But the Jays had the chance to come back on Saturday. Uh, and, you know, Caitlin and I broke this down, you know, in a lot of different ways. Everything that could have gone right went right for the Jays over the first few innings. They really got to Robbie Ray. They put up eight runs. They're up 8-1. And then, of course, the the Mariners start chipping away. Those chipping away and the chipping away started to have those repercussions. And and this is what I I talked about with some folks. And I talked about with Caitlin as well. Like, if the, Jay, the Jays leave the bases loaded in one inning, so say it's 12-1 you know, or nine or, or, or 11 ones. So they, they, add, they add a couple more there, changes things. Uh, of course, the, the Carlos Santana home run changes things. Then you're not able to, say, get George Springer out of the game. You're not able to, to make those, make some switches and you're, and you're maybe able to go to Yusei Kikuchi, for example, and, and spare some, some of the bigger arms. But at what point did you feel like this is really slipping away when you're there in the stadium and you, and you as you said, the, the sound of silence, 49,000 people dead silent, sounding like a gigantic funeral, you know, even before, you know, or, you know, in the, in the aftermath of that, of the Springer collision with Bo Bichette. But was there a moment where you were like, oh boy, this is bad. Let's start from the beginning. It, obviously they got off to a great start and I'll tell you what, I thought the atmosphere on Friday was great. Saturday was even better, man. Like it was like everyone, obviously it's a, it's a weekend. 
Um, I took the go train again <laughs> and it was even more packed. And I was like, Godly, this is dope. This is dope. This is what it's all about. And even went to the Sportsnet bar to have a beer before the game just to kind of get ready and just kind of enjoy. Like Again, I wanted to enjoy all the surroundings. I wanted to enjoy the atmosphere and just seeing the Sportsnet bar and grill at the hotel at the Marriott right there at the stadium and just seeing all the Jays fans pumped up. It was it was cool. And everything started off great for the Jays, man. I mean, when you jump to a, what is it, 8-1 lead and you have Kevin Gosman going, you're just like, man, and he is dealing. He was doing his thing. And I felt like, to me, and this is not not criticizing John Schneider or anything like that, but to me, you're paying a guy, you know, $100 million or over $100 million. I'm letting him finish off that inning. Looking back at it and, and just the way it, it, it turned out, and I'm not saying because Santana hit a grand slam or anything. It was as soon as I saw John come out. I thought Schneider was going to come out and just say, you're my guy. Get me through this guy, and if and if I lose with Kevin Gosman, I feel I I feel I feel I'm fine because I'm again I'm this is my guy, this is my horse. He's been my horse all year. He got the bases loaded, he got two outs. Let me tell you, Drew, when you have bases loaded like that and you get two quick outs, the adrenaline rush that goes through your body is on another level. The juices flow way differently. You're like you start feeling the crowd. You're like okay like yeah this is this is my game this is my game and i felt like gosman felt a little bit of that and like i said when i saw schneitz walk out i was like he's gonna give him a, a pump up talk and he's gonna walk back and this crowd is gonna go crazy and <laughs> that didn't happen and i was like oh boy like that's where i was like oh boy like okay like Mesa, he's been good he's been solid again a, a mainstay in that bullpen and they flip Santana around, and you might know better than this, but I don't know what the splits are. Santana batting right-handed as opposed to left-handed, if he's better on the right-handed side or the left-handed side, but maybe our listeners would want to hear about that. But to me, again, he's an all-or-nothing guy, right, at this point in his career. He's he's gonna, he's gonna he's thinking one thing. I'm going to hit a home run, and that's it. To me, he's more he's even more just like an on-base guy. <clears throat> you know, he, he was barely, basically like a league average hitter this year. Um, he hit a lot of his home runs from the left side, but overall, his numbers were better from the right side. You know, again, not as not as um, not as high on the on base side, but overall, like sorry, his his OPS um, was way higher from from the right. Not as many home runs because just from a lack of of plate appearances. As a Royal, he had an eight sixty seven OPS hitting right handed. As a Mariner, he was seven thirty five hitting right handed um, versus. 624 and 675 so like overall better numbers from the one side and that was just this year that doesn't necessarily mean that that's how it's always been in his career although it kind of does look like that's how it's always been in his career so i would tend to agree and that's something i hadn't necessarily thought of number one he's your ace this is what you paid this guy you know big bucks for but the other thing is like it's also 8-1 right it's 8-1 and you're looking to play another game tomorrow is he done? Are you hoping to use him tomorrow? If not, maybe I'm looking to soak up an extra another inning. Let's get out of this. Get out of this, and then maybe you know we'll see how it goes. If you get out of, if you get Santana, maybe you go one more inning for me. He's at what 85 pitches or something like that. Give me one more. He was at 90, 95. 95. Okay, so yeah, but even that, even if I that, say, that probably would have been it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Get me out of here. Let's let Mesa get a get a clean inning. But in the end, it didn't work. But that was the one for me that I, I tweeted about it like. This is one of those things that, because I, in my head, I was, I was, as I told Caitlin last week, I was very much like, you got to get Springer out of the game. Like his hand is messed up. He is favoring it. He's favoring it in the field. He's favoring it at the plate. I'm like, get him off the field as soon as you can. And the game's out of reach. But then when you give up those runs, now you can't, you know, when they went, had to go to Romano in, in the eighth, that to me, that was like, this is real bad. Yeah. And, and this is the thing about the playoffs too. Like Frank Thomas hit on it last night, Drew. And he said, I mean, he was talking about the Los Angeles Dodgers. And and I feel like it happens in the playoffs. Like, it's like everyone just gets out of whack. Like, everyone starts pitching different innings that they're not used to. Like, Jimmy Garcia is your eighth inning guy, has been your eighth inning guy almost all season. And it's like they just start, we start messing like, oh, yeah, let's bring him in in the six. Let's bring him in, you know, here and there. And, it, and everything, I feel like everything kind of gets lost in transition. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just feel like when guys have their roles, they feel comfortable in those roles. I get it. You're going to ask them to do a little bit more in the playoffs, but 
you know, when you're when you're used to pitch, pitching either the seventh or the eighth, but now you're coming in in the like the fifth or sixth, and it, I feel like it throws everything off. And now you're, I get it, you know, you want to face your best reliever sometimes in certain parts of the lineup because you know the best part of the lineup is coming up, and that's your best reliever. I get that, but I just feel like sometimes it throws these guys off, and it's something that maybe sometimes they're not comfortable in. And for me, again, going back to Gosman, it was like. That's my guy. I, I, I'm I'm riding with him, and and I and I'm telling you, man. Like I'm, I I speak on that adrenaline rush that you get from getting two outs with the bases loaded, and now feeling that I'm the man here. I'm gonna get out of this inning. I'm gonna make this place explode. And I was feeling that till to obviously till the change happened. And even when the when Santana hit the grand slam, I was like, okay, you come back and steal another run. You're up nine four, I believe that the nine five, and you're like, okay, you, you're still feeling great. And man, everything that could have gone bad that eighth inning went bad. And again, it was it was crazy. Just obviously Anthony Bass has been pretty consistent and it's just like he just didn't have it that night. Right. I mean, it's just that's part of the game. And obviously you bring in Romano and and you just kind of had to roll the dice at that point. And I would say less of roll the dice more than like that's you shooting your shot. Right. When you bring Romano in there like that, this is it. Right. Like this is this is this is our 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 one chance and then the pitch count starts to climb up and it's like okay well now they're now they're in deep they're in a bit of trouble deep they're in deep when they <laughs> because i'm sure you thought the same thing you're like man it, if romano gets out like whatever if he gives up you know one run and he still finishes the game and they win you're like man i don't know if i can bring him he probably would have said yeah i can come back tomorrow but i'm sure it would have been like a little bit of like damn like are we sure we want to bring him back tomorrow because he threw you know 35 40 pitches whatever so one question that will kind of leads into the after after we'll finish talking about this a little bit more. A lot of people are are not happy with John Schneider about that about that choice, the, the one the Gossman choice in particular. Some folks are you know and and Ross Atkins didn't confirm yesterday that they're going to give him the job on a full time basis. I don't think it would be, but do you think that that's like a something that maybe would disqualify him from being the full time manager? I don't think so. No, I don't think so because I I feel like that decision wasn't. I, I get he's the manager, but you know we f- we feel like sometimes a lot of decisions are made not just by one person. In in today's game, I don't think it should dictate his job because he still came in and did a tremendous job throughout the whole season. He brought this team together, and it almost seemed like they enjoyed playing for him. I mean, Matt Chapman, who's been a pretty vocal leader and a tremendous guy in that clubhouse, he came out and said, "I'd love to have Schneid's back." And I feel like if, if anything, you should listen to your players and, and talk to your players. If, 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 if you're the GM of the team, Ross Atkins, obviously, call your players, call your star players. Hey, what do you got? Give me some info. I, I want to know more and, and this and that. And I feel like they're your, big, your, your biggest resource in all this. I feel like managers make, you know, sometimes make mistakes or sometimes doubt certain moves in the playoffs, but it, it never cost them their job. And obviously, I know Schneider was playing with almost like house money because he wasn't the guy that started the season. I think you you still give him a shot and you bring that that staff back. I, I think that to me, he earned it, man. And, and again, I feel like the respect that he had from those guys in the clubhouse, to me, it's it's what matters. In, and I feel like every every chance that he had to uh, stand up for, the, for his guys, he did. I mean, even when Springer got hit, I mean, he came out and he, you can tell he was jawing something to the umpire and, and for me, that, that that matters a lot. A guy that's going to be um, a player's coach and that's going to stand up for you. And I feel like he did that. I feel like him and Pete had a great relationship. And, you know, obviously it's out of his control, but I don't think that one call should definitely cost him his job. I think you you learn from it. Just like there's plenty of mistakes from players that, that, that happened during the game. I'm sure they learn from it and they're like, all right, we're ready to come back next year. You know, just because somebody made a mistake during a game, you're not going to release them. You know, if you're a player, obviously a manager's a little different, but I still think it's kind of pretty similar, and and I, I don't think that should cost him his job. I'm glad to hear you say that. I I would I feel like I agree. My understanding of the manager's job, and and I don't know if you've been seeing any of these, these excerpts from from Joel Madden's book, um, just talking about the value of kind of not a not having the front office interfere, but also my sense is the manager's job is is to manage relationships to develop relationships to develop trust to understand who your guys are what makes them tick and how you can personally help the organization's larger focus of like putting this guy in a position to succeed i don't think that at any moment at any time it seemed like the moment was too big for john schneider i think that he he definitely seemed like he was um doing exactly that he was trying to put 
his team in a position to win the game. He also kind of was was with a, with a little bit of an eye to, to the game after. I think that the, that decision, as well as maybe the one that we'll talk about next, uh, are things that he can learn from. Right? Whether or not you should you should trust your ace. If if he and, and Gosman sat down and talk, or if there's any kind of like you know what kind of conversations they might have over the winter winter. If he says Gosman can say to him like you know I know next time next time. You can trust me. I, I'm going to get him, or whatever that. However, those conversations go. I feel like Johnson and I will learn from that. I had those conversations with managers in the past. It, it, you're right. I mean, that, that's a great point. Um, where you, you go into the manager's office and you say, "Don't take me out. I I got you. I'm not going to let you down. Like I got you." And I feel like sometimes a, a manager needs to feel reassurance, right? I mean, he wants to know that his guy is confident that he's going to be able to get out of situations like that. And and Again, I, I always reference this guy, and, and I'll continue to reference him for the rest of my life. Roy Halliday always told me, finish what you start, man. Finish what you freaking start. That was always his thing. Like, if you go five innings, finish those five innings. If you go six innings, finish those six innings. Like, nothing against the relievers, but you don't want to leave, you know, guys on base and then and and then leave it in somebody else's hands. He's like, that's why. He's like, that's why I work hard. I take a lot of pride in that. If I have two outs and I have bases loaded. I got to get out of it somehow, some way. And I feel like that's the mentality that that sometimes you got to take as a pitcher. Finish what you start. No matter how many innings it is, just finish what you start. Now, the other question, I guess, is the one thing that I've alluded to and I've mentioned a couple different times is the idea that maybe they should have taken George Springer out in exchange for Jackie Bradley in the late stages of the game. You've got Romano out there. He's coming into his second inning. You are in full on hold the lead. That was the mentality. It was just hold the fort, prevent defense. They got six defensive backs out there they got the nickel back they got the dime back that's my thought is like you need Brad- bradley out there a because he's a better defender not that george springer is a bad defender but the thing that i keep saying is that george springer was hurting now obviously having a couple little you know the the relative closeness of the game meant that well you don't want to take the bat out of his hands maybe you don't want to give a bat at bat to jackie bradley jr in a in the bottom of the ninth inning in a big situation if you hold the lead it doesn't come to that but the big thing and a, a point a big point of contention has been obviously the ball that J.P. Crawford hit into shallow center field. And I'm interested to hear what you said, because you said you've had some conversations with some with some folks about about their perspective on that. Obviously, a ball hit into a really tough spot. You know, even though it wasn't hit hard, it was hit high. I think it had like a 500 expected batting average just because of where it was placed. Like, those balls turn into hits not infrequently. In my mind, in the, you know, in the parallel universe, Jackie Bradley Jr. is standing there waiting for it because he's just that that much of an exemplary outfielder but that's not what happened obviously there was a collision obviously the worst case scenario number one for the health and well-being of George Springer we hope he's okay reports are he's got a, a strain to his shoulder I think and he did suffer concussion waiting to travel but they're hopeful that he's going to come all the way back but just the in-game implications could not have been a worse outcome even if he just stands there and lets it and picks it up off the ground two run score you know still two guys on but I don't know what did what did you think about 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 that play, especially in, you know in the aftermath as you've been able to have some conversations and look at it again. Yeah, well, really quick, Drew, be- before we dive into this topic, like the Whit Merrifield move, did he get taken out because he got hit in the head? I think so. Or they I'm just very confident that he took came up because he got hit in the head. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was a pretty interesting move, and and people have been saying like, would you have put Jackie Bradley? And maybe move the corner guys, maybe Tosker to left and then Springer to right, and put in uh, Jackie Bradley, who's a better defender, obviously, than Ryan Maltapia. And because a lot of it goes back to that play where he dove and he missed it, and it kind of, I feel like it kind of started there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I, again, I mean, I, I was just w- wondering why why Whit Merrifield was taken out, and if it was because he got hit in the head, because we've seen guys get hit in the head and, and they stay in the game and it's totally fine. And and if you ask me, like, who would I rather have defensively out there on left field? Obviously, Whit Merrifield, right? I mean, he's I feel like he might get to that ball, but who knows? Anyways, back to the Bichette play, Bichette Springer play. One, what what people need to understand is everything happens happens so fast. We watch it slowly. We can watch it ten times over and over and over and over and over and over again. That play happened so fast. That ball, to me too, Drew. It seemed like that ball was had a weird spin. It was kind of like slicing the way it came off the bat. And it's crazy to hear those numbers that it had a 500 batting average just because of where it was placed. And again, the, the I asked Travis Snyder, and I had a chance to sit with Vernon Wells, who threw out the first pitch that night too, two outfielders, and I said, "What what's the play there? What what happened there?" Vernon, who's obviously a Gold Glove center fielder, he's like, "To me, he's like when I'm watching that, I gotta know my pitcher, 
because obviously uh, Springer's playing no doubles. And 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 Vernon's like, to me, I, I know, is J.P. Crawford a guy that I have to worry about that's going to hit something over my head? And I said, probably not. He's like, so then I'm not, I'm playing him, not shallow, but I'm playing him in a, in a, in a place where maybe he's going to, he's going to try and do that, where he's going to try and dunk one in. And he's like, to me, George Springer was probably playing a little bit too deep because he's playing no doubles. And I get that. That's probably coming from the dugout, but me being the center fielder that I am, and I know how much ground I can cover going back. I know that nothing's going to fall right in front of me. And I thought that was an interesting point. And I was like, you see, he's like, so when they replayed it, he's like, you see, if you see Springer, he's coming in from like, <laughs> it seemed like he was coming from the warning track and he's coming full speed. And this is the thing. People want to place blame on Bo, but to me, it's two dudes trying to make a play, trying to make unbelievable play. There's 50,000 people that are going crazy. Who knows if Springer ever called him off? For an infielder, you're taught. If you hear the... The outfitter call you off, you you do peel off. You peel off. And I felt like Bo Bichette got there in plenty of time. I just think the ball kind of had some weird slice because when where you see it drop, it's kind of like it just went whoop away from them. And obviously, and, and and I felt like Bo probably felt like he had a good angle to it. And right at the end, it kind of just, I don't know, it, it, it moved a little bit, didn't it, Drew? It seemed like it. Like, yeah. And I just felt like, again, it's two dudes trying to make a play, trying to make a game-saving play, and it didn't work out. And obviously... <laughs> I'll help broke loose and everyone's saying well Bo could have peeled out shoot Bo's coming in full speed too like how <laughs> like it's easy to dissect it from here it's easy to say oh he should have done this he shouldn't it's two dudes trying to go after a ball and trying to make a play trying to make a, a game-saving play Springer's coming in hot Bo's going in hot too and unfortunately that happened but listening to Vernon and in his knowledge of it he's like you know what for me I play I would have played here because I know he's not going to fly me. I just know that. I just, you know, knowing who he is, he's he's not a he's not a a guy that's going to hit a home run. Um, maybe he runs into him into one every now and then, but right right there, I'm playing. I I just know the pitcher. I know the hitter. I know what he's trying to do, and maybe that doesn't happen if he's playing probably not shallow, but he's probably playing normal. But again, I get it. I mean, you're trying no doubles. You're you, you know you're you're trying to minimize the damage in case something falls in front of you and 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 nothing gets by you but it was interesting listening to Vernon and and his perspective on it and 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 he's like yeah maybe George for me he's like maybe he was playing a little bit too deep but again maybe that was that's what they said to do from the dugout no doubles and again I mean it's unfortunate what happened and I hope uh, uh Springer is okay and obviously Bo you I mean he was crushed man he was crushed and 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 to sit here and say, oh, yeah, like he, he lost us a game. No, bullshit. Nobody. No, like everything happened collectively. And again, it, it's, it's a play that is going to be talked about. I feel like for a long time, Drew, maybe till the day they, they win a playoff series and everyone forgets about it. But it's going to be talked about a long time. And it's unfortunate. But to me, it's like, man, like you can't place blame on either guy. Again, you're taught to go get the ball when we're doing spring training drills. You're infielders and outfielders we all do this drill and and when when out when infielders hit hear the outfielder call the ball they move out of the way and i just felt like maybe springer never said anything and that's why bo kept going for the ball. i was just watching it while you were talking not that i wasn't in rapt attention to what you were saying no, no. but <laughs> it, the, the angles aren't great but it doesn't look like springer was calling him off because i think for the exact reason that you said that you said and and as, as relayed through from vernon wells like he had a long way to go, and I don't know that he thought he would have caught it. And if he calls off Bo on a ball that he's he had was look prepped to dive headlong for, so that's a hard one to to, to call. I think makes it really tough. Now uh, we can move on from this game. It obviously was was super disappointing, uh, a really difficult loss to take, as has been evidenced by the reaction to it. There are a lot of emotions are running high, reactions are running really hot in terms of what the Jays should do next. And as you said. Uh, until they finally, when they when they next win a playoff series, I guess the question becomes: Do you think that this team, as currently constructed, not necessarily saying run it back exactly the same as as now, but do you think this team is good enough to to win a playoff series or or, or two or get to the World Series, or do you think that there's a lot of work to do? There's some work to do. Obviously, I feel like with anything, there's there's always work to do in 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 your team. And if you feel like, oh no, this is a World Series team right now, then you're crazy. You know, I feel like there's always room for improvement, especially in the game of baseball. You just, there's services needed somewhere, some way. 
and and I feel like uh, it'll be interesting what they do. Um, again, I, <laughs> I feel like people are still trying to like get over the loss on 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 Saturday. And shoot, it hit me hard, man. I mean, I was on my way out the next day. I didn't even want to stay till Monday, and I had a flight on Monday, and I was like, Nah, I'm I'm leaving. That's how depressed I was. I felt like, <laughs> I felt like I played. I felt like I played, Drew. I felt like I think it's my connection, you know, to Pete Walker, to John Schneider, and I know how hard those guys work. And it was deflating. It was one of those things where I came home and <laughs> I, I I like laid in bed for for that night and I was like I couldn't sleep I was just like thinking about the game thinking about the game and but going forward I mean I've, I feel like there's always room for improvement whether it's improving your bullpen adding a bat that's always going to help I think in my opinion obviously the starters you know what do you do with Kikuchi how you know how do you approach that if he comes in next season and, and he's he's struggling again and and that stuff do you just like end up releasing him do you eat up that contract how does Ryu come back that's another question mark stripling i mean do you like how what do you what is it going to take to re-sign him and bring him back are you willing to spend that kind of money to bring him back um if not then you have to look elsewhere and and fill in that rotation spot because again um pose barrios like we need we need a better year out of him right i mean going forward i mean what what he did this year if you ask him i guarantee you he he's how can he be happy about that those performances right i mean his numbers obviously he he had some great starts in between there but the consistency of it i guess um that's where where i feel like it it kind of faltered for him looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24/7 us based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paolo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. One thing I was thinking about, and I've seen this point made uh, in a couple of ways, we talk about bullpen arms, we talk about the way they win a playoff series. And one of the things I saw was about the lack of experience. Maybe they'll just need more experience in the bullpen. You know, you look at the names of the guys that came into that game for Seattle, guys who pitched big innings, uh, not a lot of experience, right? Diego Castillo might be the most experienced guy. He had no clue where the ball was going, hit Whit Merrifield in the head. I have to believe I, uh, that, that was in the fifth inning. I can't see them taking out Merrifield for defense in the fifth inning. Like, I think that was out of concern. It was an 8-1 game. Let's get him out of here. Don't risk it. Whatever. Festa, Penn Murphy, you know, Munoz throwing a zillion miles an hour. And then they go to a starter to close it out. I can't help but wonder if maybe there wasn't even just this much more faith 
in Jose Barrios on Saturday afternoon, then maybe they don't put him in the game at some point. Close this out. Go two. Go three. Just shut this down. I don't think that would have been the worst idea at all. But if they're not feeling that confident about him, I think that uh, that says a lot and that he, he has a lot to to go back and, and go back to the drawing board this winter, I think. And his progress is a really important one, I think. You know, thinking about the money that, you know, the Blue Jays have spent a lot of money in the last few years, and, and it which flies in the face of the folks who think that the I've seen this thing, well, they're only making the team good enough to allow Rodgers to make a profit. And it's like, man, they spent a ton of money. They spent like in the past three off seasons from 2000, the 2019-20 off season, the one after that, and and then and then this past one, they spent like three hundred million dollars on pitchers. Like they're not going half-assed. And the one example that I've used is the acquisition of Matt Chapman, which you and I have talked about so much. But if the Blue Jays and their front office and their ownership or whatever weren't committed to winning, Kevin Smith would have been the starting third baseman for the Blue Jays. He makes the minimum, right? Kevin Biggio's in his first or second year of of arbitration. Santiago Espinal. Is I don't even think he's arbitration eligible yet. Maybe one year in, like those three guys would have been a cheaper version of what they did. But instead, they signed. They went and traded for George uh, for Matt Chapman. They give him twenty million bucks. You know that really starts to drive up that bill. The, you know the overall kind of salary, the the, the payroll. But I don't know the, where the Blue Jays are going to have a lot of money. And the Ross Stripling is an interesting one because you know he'd love. I'm sure that they'd like to stay. He and his family this is his chance to get paid, right? Like he's not going to have another chance through free agency coming off a great season like that. So it's really interesting. And well, uh, let me put this, put it this way to you. When I look at the Blue Jays, I think that what we saw this year was in some ways disappointing. When other ways, they're a really good team with a lot of really good and fun players, which I think is easy to overlook. We get really so focused on like rings, 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 rings. It's like, I would much rather follow this Blue Jays team than a lot of teams, even teams that are a little bit better. There's so many fun personalities. They have a lot of fun on the field. They play a really exciting, you know, offensive brand of baseball. I can think of worse things to do with your time in the summer. How many Blue Jays would you say had a breakout season this year? Stripling? It's one? Yeah, 100%. Stripling, Romano. I mean, we didn't know what we were going to expect out of him. Obviously, the, the team came in with really who's the closer like type thing and i think he he kind of settled that debate quick but still he was still good last year right in terms of adding that production and i think you know kirk is the big one right at the end of the year when you look at what kirk did you couldn't have expected that no i mean at the halfway point espinal to me had impressed me and i was like wow like now if he can get a full season out of him and i'm not saying he's got to go crazy like hit three but if we can get a solid season out of him he's he's an everyday guy and and I felt like towards the end when he kind of wore off, it, it, it kind of hurt the bottom part of the lineup. It really did. And obviously, Gurriel being out, I mean, that didn't help at all, man. I mean, that's a guy that was, you know, having a pretty solid season and he was hot before he got hurt. Hot. And I think that that hurt them. And yeah, I think Stripling, obviously, uh, Kirk, um, Romano, I think solidified that that back end of the bullpen. And everyone's like, OK, we, we got our close. We're good. Now, what pieces do we put in front of him in order for for our bullpen to be that much better for next season? Uh, so, aside from that, I mean, uh, trying to think. I mean, Bo. I mean, his his September was unbelievable. Bo's September brought him to where we would have expected him to be, by and large, at the end of the year. He's worth four wins above replacement. He's like twenty percent better than the average hitter at the plate. It didn't turn out. It wasn't. No, the word consistent but again Bo, Bo Bichette is the exact guy that I love to use as a counterpoint to when people say well you wish they would produce consistently it's like okay well you know Mike Trout goes two for five every day but nobody else does right but Bichette's <laughs> now, effort is consistent though right Bichette is a consistency of effort he works hard every single day it was only at the end of the season when he was able to sort of put it all together yeah and, and the crazy thing like that I hear from people and like my aunt mentions when they lost was like yeah now this will wipe the the smile off their faces and them smirking around having fun and I'm like oh my is that what you want God. is that what you want like what do you what, look if, if that's like, if that's your you not not you you the person who's 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 adding yeah, yeah. Ricky Romero yeah just yeah. go and cheer for the fucking Yankees just go just go and buy that you've already got one in your closet I know you do you got a Yankees cap in there just pull it on cheer for the Yankees they don't have any fun Ever. They don't even allow them to have goddamn beards. So just go cheer for the Yankees. Have Make it a, just a grim march to October and anything less than the World Series is a bitter disappointment. I would not want to live that way. So if that's your perspective, sure. 
grab the pinstripes, throw them on. It'll feel like a million bucks, like you're dancing with the devil. <laughs> Have yourself a great time. Watch, go, go in there. You're going to piss Brandon Morrow off, but you go in, you watch the Yankeeography. You're going to just <laughs> take it all in, the cult. But you know what? The Blue Jays are not that team. The Blue Jays are fun, and I don't think that's a bad thing whatsoever. I do think there are moves that they can make. You know, and one of the things that I really keyed on, and when I, I don't know if you heard or saw any of Ross Atkins' comments, but he said they're going to evaluate whether or not the team offensively, you know, productive as it was, incredibly productive, the best offense in baseball by OPS plus, if the sameness of their team made them vulnerable in in certain instances, like when they're going up against Luis Castillo, could they use a different uh, look here and there? Now we do; they do have different looks in terms of guys like like Guriel and Kirk, who really put it in play, who don't have that much swing and miss, but there is obviously work to do there. There are potential trades to be made, and I don't know what you think about this. I think Lourdes Gurriel is a free agent at the end of next season, I think, maybe the year after. Teoscar Hernandez is, is potentially uh, will reach free agency at the end of next season. Um, those are a couple bigger ones. And then there's three catchers, and that's a lot of catchers, and, and I don't know. I mean, is Danny Jansen a guy that maybe you can move? He's got two years left before free agency, or is the other pieces? Are, are any of those the kind of moves you're willing to entertain when you're looking to... Um, to maybe make the Blue Jays, if not necessarily upgrade with a capital U, but like have a bit of a different look from those Jays next year. Yeah, I mean, three catchers, man. Shoot. <laughs> like at what point do you... Kirk obviously, you know, shoulders what he can do this season. You have Gabriel Moreno, who's one of the top prospects in baseball. Do you say like, okay, these are my two guys. We let, I don't know. I, it, See, to me, that's really tough. Those are tough questions. That's tough. Like, I think the Blue Jays have more equity in Danny Jansen than almost any other player on the roster. Like, they've invested so much in him. And I think it might be the kind of thing where, like, Danny Jansen's worth more to the Blue Jays than he is to anybody else. If you're on the outside looking in, you see Danny Jansen, you see a guy who's productive, uh, but the guy who's hurt often. And all the other stuff you don't see. But like the Blue Jays know who Danny Jansen is. They've they've been consistent in this too, right? From the er like when he was barely a rookie, they included him in all that that kind of team building stuff. He's been part of the Bove Lad sort of group all the way through. I can't see them making a move with him. I think that he's 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 worth more to the Blue Jays than he is to anybody else. You know, the thing that I'm gonna say that I've said a bunch of times, the things that, that Alejandro Kirk does well are clear. He hits line drives, he doesn't strike out. And he frames the low strike. But I don't know if that's the business that I want to be in. On top of the fact that he'll never have more value than he has right now as a trade piece, I think you could go and do really well to trade Alejandro Kirk, which sounds crazy to say you're going to trade like a four-win catcher, you know, who's got who's only, what is he, 24? Who's, got, who's not a free agent for however many more years. But I think that he can make the most impact in terms of offsetting his loss by really bringing some some nice pieces back that could help make the Blue Jays look a little bit more like a complete team um, in 2023. Yeah, and it's funny you you, you say that because <laughs> Joe Siddle tweeted this about an hour ago. He's always, he goes, outside of the box target for Blue Jays offseason, Christian Vasquez, experience behind the plate for a team ready to win now, as it was this year, but slipped away. Keep Jansen, get pitching for Kirk. Joe Siddle's a smart man. He's a wise, wise individual, no doubt. Good-looking Canadian catcher, you know, we are legion. That's sort of the way that I, the things that I would look at, right? He's like, what can you do for Kirk? You know, Teoscar Hernandez, I would rather um, die than see him play for another team, but that's just me. That's like my own personal thing. I, I got so much love for Teoscar Hernandez. It is crazy. He is so fun and has, is also so good. He's become a much better outfielder than he was years ago. He's a very good athlete, very athletic, really runs the bases pretty well. I ride hard for Teoscar Hernandez, so I don't know that I'm necessarily in a hurry to trade him. And obviously, you have to start thinking about the future. How are we going to re-sign Bo Bichette? How are we going to re-sign Vladimir Guerrero? What is it going to take to get those guys? Alec Manoa, I'm sure, is going to be in the work soon before that. I mean, we see what Alex Anthopoulos is doing in Atlanta. I mean, that freaking guy has signed everyone. Took that 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 the core of that team is like signed for like the next seven years. It seemed like whether they're good deals, shitty deals, he somehow got it done. And I'm interested to see how they go about this business with with Bo, with Vladdy, with Alec, and stuff like that because it's going to cost them a good chunk of change, and and there's going to be some decisions to be made. And obviously, you want to be smart about the financial part of it. You understand that, you get that, and 
Maybe they retain two out of the three. Maybe they have to part ways with one. Like there's so many things that can happen. And obviously Ross Atkins and Shapiro have, have a lot of work to do ahead because as someone was told once told me, the, the more you keep playing, the more your stock keeps rising and rising and rising and rising and rising and rising and you put up numbers and it keeps rising and rising. So I'm sure there's going to, there's going to be talks or there's, I'm sure there's talks already of how, how are we going to resign certain guys for the future? Because you can't let it, you know, just wait till the last year of arbitration. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh shoot, like we haven't signed this guy. And, <laughs> and, and here we are, like he might walk at the end of the season. So, you, I think you want to have a plan for that, and I'm sure they do. And obviously, uh, pitching to me, pitching is always important, man. I mean, the more pitching you have, the the the, the better your team is going to be. To the people that keep saying like, "Oh yeah, we should have Castillo," no, like it, it just no. What Seattle offered to the to the Cincinnati Reds was above and beyond what probably anybody else had in their minor league system. It blew the market. And, 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 it blew the whole tra pitching trade market away. Like there weren't that many big trades that were made after that because they paid so much. Everybody was like, well, we want to, you know, really high ceiling shortstops. And it's like, well, I'm not giving you that. I don't have that to give. Yeah. And and I'm out, and, and maybe the Toronto Blue Jays didn't have that kind of intel either. Maybe they didn't have, like, they're still trying to build a farm system, a solid farm system. And, you know, at times you we were wondering like, hey, who's, who's, if it's not uh, Nate Pearson, who's the next guy up? You and I talked about it plenty of times. They're like, well, you have nobody. And it's like, well, that has to change, in, in my opinion. Like, the minor league system has to be. It, and it's it, that's obviously a, something that just you have to continue to get better every single year. And every, I feel I feel like everyone understands that. And, and I'm sure there's young and up-and-coming guys. But in order to make those type of trades, you better have some firepower to offer. And, and obviously, the, the, the Mariners this year had that and that's why they were able to land Luis Castillo you're telling me that if the Yankees had a chance to acquire Luis Castillo over Frankie Montas they they, they I'm sure they would have but they obviously didn't have those pieces to send over to Cincinnati again when <laughs> when Seattle kind of puts that on paper and say this is where we're going to offer you they probably went around and said let's see what we can get out of other teams if anybody can match this and and it's not it's not a one way street. People think it's a one way street. Oh, the 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 Blue Jays should have acquired Reese Castillo. Well, shit, the Blue Jays didn't have those assets. I'm sorry, they didn't. Their their minor league system is not as strong as you think they are. And oh well, they you know they should trade them. You know they should have given up Bo Bichette. And it's like now like that's just dumb. Now you're talking crazy. <laughs> so let me ask you. This might be the last question of the year. Even if we sit back here and it's it's March or April. So number one thing I, I was thinking about when you were talking also is the difference between, you know, you mentioned Alex Anthopoulos, who's got so many of these good deals done um, with key members of, uh, uh, of the Braves. You know, the, even like the, the, the contract that, he, that, he, that you signed was different. The Blue Jays haven't signed a lot of deals like that, right? These kind of like pre-arbitration deals. If we reconvene in April and we're talking about this, have the Blue Jays signed either Vlad or Bo or both? And would, which one would you prefer or do if it was your money? Who are you signing long term? <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. I'm putting you on the spot. Both, man. I mean, shoot. It, to me, I'm, I'm both. Like, I, it'd be hard for me to choose one because I think they complement each other so well. And, and we saw it various, various times this season where Bo would jump on Vladdy's ass. And I feel like Vladdy sometimes probably needs that. You know, and, and I think there's only one guy that can do that, and it's Boba Shed, because they've grown up together. They they know what it's like. They've been more than teammates, I feel like. They they they've been so close through their minor league career up until now. And and I've heard stories about them in the minor leagues, like challenging each other and, and going at each other. And that to me is what it's all about. I mean, it'd be tough for me to part ways with one or the other. Um, obviously we know what Vladdy can bring to the table and if you ask him it's probably not the year that he wanted to have he was expecting more out of himself but i feel like hey man again it's 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 baseball it happens you live and you learn from it and and, and you continue there's one thing you can do that's get better this offseason so then next year you come and, and you you wreck shit again you know and and get back to the to the guy that we're used to seeing i mean vladi obviously show, showed flashes of it you know I, again people want consistency but like you mentioned Mike Trout. He's the only guy who's consistent every single day, two for five, one for four with a walk. <laughs> and he's in a category of his own. Like he's not just on another level. Yeah, man. I mean, I mean, I, if I'm leading that team, I, I want both those guys somehow, some way as part of my future. And I'm sure people are so quick to jump against 
phobic shed and this and that and he's selfish and he's this and he doesn't want to move to second base i've heard that a lot and it's like man like (laughs) like let 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 the let the kid be man like i mean he's 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 still young there's still a bright future ahead of him and again everything i hear from from the coaches about who he is behind closed doors tells me everything i need to know And, and at the end of the day you want to sign good people you want to sign great people you know and obviously we see the performances on tv but it's how is he preparing? How is he getting ready? Is, can he make a change to this team? Does he make a difference in that clubhouse? That's a, those. That's the stuff that I'm looking for. And that's the stuff that obviously Atkins and Shapiro have the answers to. You know, I, again, I, I feel like one of the things that you, you can do is, is, is ask your players, ask the players around you. Like, I'm not saying be a snitch or anything like that, but get a feel for, for your players and, and, and how, how stuff works in the clubhouse. And, um, and, and, and from the manager and, and, and I'm sure that they're your best feedback. I mean, you can't just guess and say, uh, I think Vladdy's going to be, get three MVPs in the next 10 years. Like you can't guess that, you know, it's not the way baseball works. That said, I probably would give Vlad the money. If it's me, <laughs> if it's me, I'm going to, I'm going to do, I'm going to sign Vlad. I think that there's a little bit less risk. I think that, that there's a bit of risk in, in Bobochet's profile and, as we saw this year, there is the, that risk has its down points, its its low end, and then it's it's you know that reward high end where, at the end of the year, his numbers are his numbers, and and he's an incredibly productive player who plays you know really hard and and works really hard too. So that's easy for Blue Jays fans to cheer for, which I think is something that we can always come back to. That this is an easy team to cheer for, and I know that the last week has been pretty tough, but I hope that the off season we lose that sting and start to appreciate the team that's here and that hope and believe that as they've done each of the last three years, the people who make those decisions will continue to look to make the team better. They've seen, they've seen what they need to see. They've seen, the, you know, with Blue Jays are, 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 have gotten close. If the goal, the next goal is to get over that hump, I really, um, I really hope that, the, that they'll continue to do that work and make some very tough decisions about what it's going to take to get them there in 2023. 2022 on spin rate has been a blast. We're going to take a little bit of a break as I understand it. Maybe, maybe we won't. Maybe we'll be back and nobody knows. Make sure you subscribe before we go. Subscribe so that when there is a new one, if something crazy happens, me, Ricky, Caitlin got to get together, break it down. You can make sure it's there. But either way, Ricky, it has been a pleasure and I've had a great time chatting with you this season and I'm hopefully we can do it again sometime very soon. Yeah, man. No, thank you. Thank you so much for welcoming me to the Spin Rate family. It was fun. It, it was cool to chat about baseball. And one thing I, I told somebody this past week, and it's like, we're not always right. We have our opinions and it's okay to disagree with us. That's that's what part of having good banter means. But we appreciate every single one of you guys for listening in, for tuning in, for following us throughout this uh, Spin Rate time because i did have a few people come up to me and say man i li- i love listening to you and drew on spin rate and i was like that's awesome you know that, that that that's what we're here for that's why we do the show for you guys and some people came up to me like hey man i sometimes disagree with what you have to say <laughs> <on spin rate." laughs> and, that's, and, and that's totally fine i respect me I, I respect that you know <laughs> I, I said i respect that mm-hmm. man i mean i respect that a hundred percent i mean th- this is what's about nobody has the answers we all wish we had the the, the right answers and we're going to be wrong sometimes yeah but we're going to offer our perspectives, and, and that's that's what was fun about doing this podcast. I learned a lot. Again, thank you, Drew, for for everything, and it, it's it was fun, and and I'm sure we're 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 going to do it again. But yeah, thank you to everyone for for tuning in this season. Obviously, it didn't end, but the good thing about baseball is, as they always say, there's always next year. There's always next year, and you know what, what's the line about? I look out the window and wait for spring. That's what we're going to be doing again. Thank you to everybody. Thank you, of course, to Caitlin McGrath, the third member, the other member of the Spin Rate family. I think you said it right about it. we learned a lot. And and if the worst thing you can say about us on this show between you and me and Caitlin is like if we have an opinion, I think that or or, or a viewpoint, we're always willing to like consider new information to to think about things to to hear what other people have to say to look at what the numbers have to say to look at what happens on the field and look at different different sources of information and then just have fun and informative talks about it and that's cuz that's really what it, we're doing it's just two people who love baseball three people who love baseball talking about it and talking about the team that means a lot to them his name is Ricky Romero my name is Drew Fairservice her name's wherever she is it's Caitlin McGrath thank you so much for tuning in this year on Spin Rate we'll be back before you know it with more edition here on the Athletic 
I want them to kick the shit out of the Oreos, man. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.